Hey, this is for all of our property manager friends of the podcast. Are you looking to add more properties this year? If so, you got to check out Venturi. These guys are at the forefront of what they do. You should see them at conferences, pack presentations, their booths are slammed, and Brooke, their founder, is a huge fan and supporter of the pod. Venturi has built the first and only software and services platform designed specifically to help property managers recruit homeowners and add new inventory to their rental programs. John, these guys are awesome. They can help you pull lists of vacation rental homeowners in your area and then even market to them across multiple channels from landing pages to chatbots and so many more booking tools. Venturi is here to help you collect leads. Their state-of-the-art CRM with marketing automation can help you easily track those leads and efficiently communicate with them across your entire team. The system can even automatically follow up with your leads instantly. Knowing that your leads are getting contacted right away is an awesome feature. The best part is if you sign up now, you can get a free homeowner marketing list and a free owner landing page. On top of that is 60 day money back guarantee. Venturi makes it completely risk-free to try it out. They will even send you a $50 Amazon gift card just for taking a demo. To learn more, go to Venturi.com forward slash no BS. That's V-I-N-T-O-R-Y.com forward slash no BS. Or just mention that you heard about them on the No BS short-term rental podcast. Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Good morning, Mateo. How are you? Good, brother. How are you? I am great. I'm glad to see you back in ATL. I'm glad I'm glad you made it back safe and sound. Uh, oh, season season two, episode 23. We have an exciting guest today. A newer spin on on how we we normally take things. And, and I'm, I'm super excited to learn about uh, about her business and and what she's offering to her her clientele and and her listeners. It's uh, she's uh, kind of a a mal- almost a Swiss Army knife uh, of of offerings to to investors, and I'm excited to chat about it and to learn a lot because and this is definitely a different direction uh, for us. So I'm excited for our audience. Let's go ahead and introduce Avery Carl, the CEO of the Short Term Shop. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Avery. Yeah, yeah thank you guys so much for having me. I, I'm looking at your your LinkedIn profile here, and there's there's a gazillions of things to you know <laughs> of of all that you know going down from, you know if we go back you know ten years and different things you know you're a sales account executive you're you're a set customer working with from different marketing aspects and some web presence for different uh, different firms and it, it's exciting to see you know your journey you know to where you are today and, and just a quick blurb. We are talking with one of Wall Street Journal's top 100 <laughs> agents in 2020. So we are in mm. good company. Yay! Um, again, <laughs> we, we need to go ahead and get one of those buttons, you know, one of those cheesy buttons with the the applause. Applause. We're, yeah. you know, we're not going to let you. I'm going to let you. No. Yeah, I know that. Um, but we'll let we'll let Avery introduce herself and tell her tell us where who she is and where she is. I'd love to hear a little bit about who you are now, like where you are. But then let's talk about how you got there, um, okay. and then we can come back to what you're doing. So, 
who is Avery Carl and what is a short-term shop? Okay, so I am a real estate investor first. I own just under 200 doors and I went from zero to 200 over the course of about five and a half years because five of my first six properties were short-term rentals. And because they cash flow so much heavier than traditional long-terms, I was able to scale much more quickly than um, if I just stuck with traditional long-terms. Um, I have a podcast called The Short-Term Show, also a, uh, an Amazon bestseller in four categories called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. That basically is kind of a guidebook for how I uh, was able to do that so that other people can do it too. And then um, probably on our second short-term rental property deal, we kind of realized there weren't really any agents in the space who could even answer our questions about like, hey, how do I find a cleaner? How much should this property make? So I bridged that gap, got my license and became that agent, opened our first short-term shop office in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. And we are now in 11 markets in seven states. <laughs> And, and I guess and, I can, and what's that traject- like, what's that time frame? 11 markets, seven states, uh, five, years. In, 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 five, five years, 200 years. doors. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. We were talking earlier about what, what you're, you're talking to when you're talking to these, these investors, these, these, um, who, who is your, your, your investor? Like who is your target demographic? Who are you? Is it just someone that has, that has, you know, is looking for their first uh, you know, vacation rental home or their first investment property, or is it someone that is building a portfolio and they want to go ahead and add more? It's a little bit of everybody, but I would say my, mostly our clientele are people who have, who are either brand new to investing or people who have a few long-term doors who want to scale their portfolio, but need like a little bit of a turbocharger to do that. So I would say as like a one general demographic, it's people who want to get out of the corporate world by scaling their real estate portfolio, which we can get into that too. Cause you know, I've done a lot of things and I don't think anybody grow- says, Hey, I want to be in real estate when I grow up. So, you know, I had a few phases before I got here. Uh, but that's generally who people who are exactly like I was, who wanted to get out of their corporate gig or grow their portfolio faster. So they have that freedom. Right. I think we, we talk about this a lot in the podcast is like who really, everyone kind of stumbles into this space. Like, yeah. and even on the, the podcasting, like, you know, at, our, at I know at, at Mateo and at and, and my age, you know, where <laughs> like who, who grew up said, I want to be a podcaster. It wasn't even a thing. Um, it wasn't, you know, so it's kind of interesting to see, see where this is going. Tell me about, you're you've 11 markets you're in five states you're you're helping these people but how do you like you said you know your guests don't necessarily like they, they kind of stumble into your clients they stumble into this but how did you come into to to this position of where you are today you sure, know prior sure. prior than four than five years ago you know what was the direction how how did yeah. you stumble in yeah. So um, I graduated from undergrad in the worst time in the history of probably the entire history of America to graduate college with a communications degree. I graduated in spring 2009 from University of Texas in Austin. And uh, I've always played music, always been a guitar player. And uh, at the time I played in bands all through college, you know, toured all over the place. I don't know really how I made that work with college, but I did it. And um, when I graduated, it was like, all right, cool. There's not any job. So I guess I'm going to keep, you know, just doing this music thing. I have an excuse now. It's not like, oh, you know, I failure to launch here. I can't launch because there's no job. So toured in bands, uh, worked in the bar business to supplement that income because there is none. 
and, uh, you know, got to do a lot of cool things, toured Europe a few times, toured Japan, did all kinds of stuff. I lived in Austin. Wait, wait, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> yeah. So you toured Europe, you turned like, what is the band? What was the predominant band name? So we can, we can go ahead and then search you up on Spotify. And Oh uh, gosh, uh, a bunch of little crappy punk bands that nobody's ever heard of. Um, <laughs> probably not, but I still need to listen. You know what? You're, you're not going to give it. Uh, so I was in uh, one all girl punk band called the applicators. Uh, then I played bass for a rockabilly legend named Danny B Harvey. And then also played bass for a guy named Ivan Julian, who he was in, if you're into classic punk, uh, he was the guitar player for Richard Hill and the Voidoids in the seventies. And then a bunch of other cool stuff after that. He, he's been on a couple of clash records, things like that. Uh, so I played with him too, but those are, those are like the three main ones. That's awesome. So hold up. No, just stop. We, she used the phrase. I have no idea what it is, but I'm completely want to know. Rockabilly? Rockabilly. Oh, you know what yeah. Rockabilly is? Dude, the big pop tour. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, Rockabilly <laughs> is kind of like uh, the best way to describe it is like people now that are playing like uh, classic like 50s rock and roll. So if mm-hmm. Elvis came out now, he would probably be considered Rockabilly. I know that's going to sound sacrilegious to a lot of people, but you know, like the stray cats, that was like the second that's where wave. I was going. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. where I was so going with the stray cats. Yeah. All right, yeah so. It's those guys who were like super fifties. Yeah. That's, that's how I would describe See, it. I, I'm a big music Rolled guy. Never... T-shirts with the cigarettes. There, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I, yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> we're, we're there. I just had to, you know, it stuck out. Yeah. I wasn't sure what that was. I wanted to check in. Yeah. So. I never really got into the, uh, the punk scene, the, the, uh, the earliest kind of like, alt punk that i uh, i was a huge pixies fan um okay. so not necessarily you know punk by any means but it was uh it was kind of that transition out of there in the early, late 70s early 80s eight mid 80s but sorry post-punk yeah yeah i like it all i love it all i'm a big a big uh black francis fan sweet so all right sorry back to we, we <laughs> so paused yeah, incredible journey around the world Yeah. Yeah. So did that. Lived in L.A. for a little while. Lived in New York for a little while. When I lived in New York, I lived in New York until about 2012. Around that time, it was like, okay, I think, you know, I'm tired of this. I can't bartend forever and play music forever as fun as it as it is. It's time to let's go back to school and get a master's degree. Met my husband when I lived in New York. And so we were kind of looking for a change anyway. And um, so we moved to Nashville and I was working on getting my master's at Belmont. And uh, so we bought a house because, you know, it's really difficult to buy a house in New York City. But at the time when we bought in Nashville, it was still super cheap. So we were like, oh, cool, we can buy a house. So uh, we were looking for a house and our real estate agent at the time, I wasn't licensed yet or interested. Uh, she was really trying to get us to buy in this uh, area called East Nashville that was like super fast appreciating and super hip and, you know, all that stuff. And she was like, yeah, people are making like $100,000 in a year on their house. Little did we know what would happen in 2020 through 2022. But back then that was a lot of money. And we're like, "Uh, no, you know, we're coming from Brooklyn. We're sick of neighbors. We move into Tennessee. Like we want to buy something out in the country. So we did that. And then we thought about it. I'm like, man, we have a little bit of money left. Like maybe there's something to that buying that house in the hipster area and renting it out. And then maybe one day when we have kids that will have appreciated enough that we can pay for their college instead of having right. to pay for it out of pocket. We can just sell this house. We'll be like the smartest people ever. We are such geniuses. And so we did it. We went and bought a house there without knowing anything about real estate investing. Didn't even know it was called real estate investing. We just did it. 
thank God it ended up being a really good one. And we were cash flowing. So we paid 120 for it. Mortgage was about 650. We were able to rent it out for 1550. So almost a thousand bucks a month, like yeah. pretty good for a long is this, time. Is it still in your portfolio? Uh, no, I 1031 exchanged it recently. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, we had, when we got that first rent check, we were like, okay, we're onto something here. We need more of these things. How can we get more? And we only had like enough of a down payment left for one single family. We couldn't go out and like buy a big multi or anything. So we thought, well, what can we buy that we can make the most amount of money the fastest so we go buy more of these things? So we landed on short-term rentals. Didn't really want to do it in Nashville because all the anti-short-term rental stuff was kind of starting to bubble up at that time. And we're like, we can't afford to buy something. And then them tell us we can't use it for what we need to. So we just gone on vacation to the Smoky Mountains, which is about three hours east. And we said, well everybody stays in short-term rentals there. Everybody goes there to stay in a cabin. Somebody owns those cabins. Why not us? So we started looking. We we talk about this a lot, but this is exactly where Mateo and I met in the, in Gatlinburg. We're, uh, we're, we're, (laughs) we have a, uh, we have a love, we kind of love the Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg market. There's a a (laughs) lot of stories that go back to there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I've got five there. Um, but that was where we bought our, our first one. And, uh, we could not afford. So at the time, how we got into the self-management thing at the time, the standard for any of the property management companies out there was 40% of your gross. And we were like, well, that is not going to work for us. So we were like, we can do this from Nashville. We know we can. So we kind of figured it out. There weren't all the cool property management tools and automations that there are now back then. So we kind of had to do everything manually. But we figured it out. We were able to do it and keep, you know, most of our cash flow. It scaled that from one to five cabins in the Smokies over the course of the next year and a half. And the rest is kind of history. It's uh, it's interesting, like like the Smoky Mountains in, you know, that whole Sevier County is such a tight knit community. And, you know, if one's doing 35, one's doing 40 percent, like like it doesn't like these property management companies like if one's doing it, all of them are doing it because they figure they can go in and it gives you, and I, and I love kind of, I love this spin on it because we, we always, I'd say 95% of our conversations are with uh, professionally managed. And I'm not saying that they, you know, they're, you know, with a property management company, all this stuff, I'm not mm-hmm. saying anything negative about, you know, self-managing. Uh, but it's interesting to see that, you know, you went ahead and looked at it and it's like, shit, this is, <laughs> there's a lot of money we're leaving on the table here. Now there's pros and cons to that. You know, do you, right. do you see there wasn't a lot of tech or at least at, at your end adopting at that time, time, you're doing a lot of things manual. Was there like, Oh man, we, we really like we're, we're in over our heads or was it like, Oh, this is totally manageable at five units. You know, it was totally manageable. There were some things that I would say are uh, were super annoying um, that now are not as annoying. Like uh, mainly scheduling cleaners for five properties was was really annoying because at the beginning of every month, I had to sit down, go through all five calendars, send it to our cleaner, send it to her two or three different ways. So there was no possible way she could screw it up. Um, and now, you know, that's automated. So start, having to start from total, it, and at the time, it was absolutely worth my time because I, I learned pretty quickly, like during that time of the scaling, I was working corporate jobs and I learned really quickly after grad school that I'm not a good employee. Like I, I'm somebody, I'm really good at working in the morning. So I get all my stuff done before like 1030. And then I'm like, so I have to sit here until five and like, then what? 
Um, but I was only <laughs> making like, I was working on the, on the management side of music and I was only making like $40,000 a year, not even. So it was totally worth my time to do all this. But now, I mean, it's like a cakewalk compared to what it used to be with all the automations. So I, there was never a time that I really felt like I was over, over my head or in over my head. It was just like, a, okay, well, what am I going to do if a toilet breaks in Sevierville? I'm going to do the exact same thing as if a toilet breaks right here behind me. I'm going to call somebody because I don't fix toilets. I don't know how to do that here. I don't know how to do that here, there. So it's a phone call either way. Just a mindset thing. Right. It's interesting. Were you going to say something, Mateo? I thought you were going to jump in there. I saw you had like this. <laughs> if those are, that aren't watching the video, he, he had this like poise, like you were going to say something. No, no, I was just I was going to dig into the numbers and just uh, but I, I didn't want her. I didn't want to cut off the story. So I <laughs> with 200 doors, that's I, there's managers that don't have 200 doors. Um, These are not all short terms. I have eight, eight of them are short terms. The rest of them are long. Oh, OK. And the long terms I mean, are absolutely with property. Oh, people are always like, isn't it a lot harder to manage short term than long term? For me, it's opposite because. Long-term, like you're having to do credit checks. You have to let them in and look at things first. You have to do like all this stuff. You have to track down the rent every month that people don't necessarily <laughs> want to offer up. So um, those are all with managers, but we still do self-manage our eight short terms. And we do have uh, a VA who helps us with that now. Got you. Okay. All right. That was, <laughs> that's, that's some questions. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> not 200 short terms. And be like, Oh, there's a secret here. I need to know. But, <laughs> no, I think it's. I bet I think it's interesting too. And I think there's there's definitely validity in the narrative that you have of, you know, long term management has its its quirks as well. You know, you got to deal with evicting people. I was actually with someone that manages long term properties last week, and he was going around still collecting cash. It sounds horrible. <laughs> I was like, what? like, what are you doing? He's like, I got to go collect. He's got a couple duplexes and he's like, I, I, I got to go collect this rent. And he's comes back in the car. He's got cash in his hands. I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I guess that still works. But yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. So talk to, so, so you've made it up. You're doing, you're doing this thing. You have got five units in, in Sevier County, you, and now you've, you're up to, you know, I'll let you're in 11 different markets on, you know, helping people invest in, in STRs. Like what, what is, if, if I am, you know, Joe, you know, I I'm looking to go ahead and get into investing. I want to go ahead and, 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 you know, I have a home I'm looking at, you know, getting a, an STR or looking just to go ahead and make some money and you know, maybe not necessarily something I want to use at all, but you know, what, what are the key things that you look for in acquiring short-term rental properties and what are you teaching your, what do you talk about, you know, with, when you're, when you're asking their questions and what they're looking for? So for me, the market is everything. So while I was living in Nashville, I was also selling short-term rentals in Nashville and Nashville really, really solidified for me that I have no interest in investing in short terms in Metro markets. I know a lot of people are making a killing on them and that's totally cool. There's more than one way to skin a cat, but I was just always having to be so involved with going to the city council meetings and listening to why they're trying to ban it this time, or they're not banning it, but you know, they're going to change this zoning to where these 20 investors now can't make money on their properties. And that's just not something that I want to deal with. So I stick to, or try to stick to mature vacation rental markets. So like the Smokies or Destin, Florida or Santa Rosa beach, like Panama city down here where I live, uh, because these are all areas that 
people have been staying in short-term rentals forever and ever. It's not a new thing as of the past 15 years, like it is in a lot of the bigger Metro areas, like Destin had vacation rentals before it had electricity. And, um, so the cities and counties, yeah. So the cities and counties figured out how to monetize that decades ago in those types of markets. So now, since there's very little hotel presence too, and they figured that out a long time ago, they're making so much money off that local occupancy tax of the short-term rentals that it would just be way too detrimental for the local economies to ever regulate very hard against them. So that's why I try to stick to those mature vacation rental markets like that rather than metro. Um, so that's you know the types of markets that we're in. Um, and then in terms of the property, you know, it just kind of depends on what their personal goals are in terms of price range and size. But the main thing is, A, aside from making sure that you're in the right area and that like, I, I see people, for example, in the beach markets all the time that are like, want to buy something north of the Bay because it's cheaper. And I'm like, that's not going to work because people don't, people aren't going to rent that Someone's and drive 20 there. minutes to the yeah. beach. Yeah, it's really cheap. And when you're looking at all these data tools, it looks like it's going to be great, but people aren't going to rent it. So the biggest thing is you want to make sure that you're buying something that is what the tourists have come to expect of the market. So like the brick ranch home is what I always pick on. So you're, if you buy a brick ranch home in the Smoky Mountains, it's not going to work because people come to the Smokies to stay in cabins. Same thing in beach markets. You know, they're looking for the beach houses, whether they're like bright colors or like white is the new beach house color or condos. Like they're not looking for this house that looks like it could live next door to them in wherever they live. It has to right. feel like part of the vacation experience. So that's the biggest thing. It needs to be a destination, you know, you know, and you think about it, like I know when when I go on vacation with my family, obviously we, we stay in, you know, in short term rentals. We, we always have been and it's the industry we live in, but we want to go and we want to we want to upgrade. You know, we, we want to go to something that's a different, you know, we got a nice house here. Right. But, you know, I want to go to the beach and have the audience you know, have these beach amenities and I want to have these these pools or what all, all these different things. And and that makes a lot of sense when looking for an SDR to get something that you can actually, you know get your, your future guests are going to actually get some, you know, and it's going to drive an ROI. Speaking of ROI, like, what do you, what is a, a good return on investment? Like, you know, you know, these SDRs are, are, you know, you're seeing in, depending on the market, they're, you know, they're millions of dollars, you know, for, depending on the market, you know, you know 500,000 up, you're going to go ahead and get something you can go in and fix up. What are you trying to go ahead and get back annually out of your investment? For something like that. So you're looking for a minimum of 20% cash on cash return. And it's the, that's the thing that I tell people about STR is like, it is so easy to analyze an apartment building because the rent is the rent, no matter what for the next, however long the lease is. And it fits really nicely into a spreadsheet and it doesn't matter who manages it. But with short term, it's always going to be a little bit of a range because no matter how nice the property is, it's only as good as the manager that's managing it. So depending on the management, it will depend, you know, that's going to determine how well the property does. But anyway, that's another story. But you're looking for a minimum of a used to, I would say two years ago, 20% was like the bare minimum. Now I would say like 15% is what you're looking for, but then you can, you know, do some upgrades. Like I got one last year that was a three bedroom, but 
it had a partially finished storage room that wasn't even like advertised as being part of the square footage. And so we had no, like, it was super cheap to just put some nice flooring and some good drywall in and paint it. And now it's a four bedroom. So I would say 15% on a potential value add and then 20 on just like a, a turnkey. Have you noticed a, a change with, you know, with, we, we talk a lot about, you know, we all know that the vacation rental market has been here and the SCR market has been here forever. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but the world and since, since COVID and since, you know, everything shut down has really been opened up to, you know, well, since Airbnb, first of all, and, uh, mm-hmm. but then it's transitioned to, to where we are today. Have you noticed that like, there's more and more investment uh, money coming into the space from big, you know, big names and big corporate investors and VC and stuff like that, that now makes it harder for you to go ahead and compete for uh, specific uh, SCR, like specific properties you're looking at. So I'm not seeing that in our markets yet, though. I know it's coming. So most of that, most of the fund money is sticking to metro markets at the moment but i think it's only a matter of time until they get into into our markets for sure yeah and no, we're definitely seeing it you know the sneaking in you know mm-hmm. when you say your markets again let just kind of reiterate you're you're in severe county you're in florida the gulf you know gulf coast of florida um mm-hmm. where in you said you're looking at you're in 11 markets what are some of the other markets you're in okay so i I can only remember them all if I list them all in a specific order. So <laughs> I'm just going to do that. Uh, Smokies in Tennessee, Blue Ridge, Georgia, Gulf Shores, Alabama, Galveston slash Crystal Beach, Texas, Broken Bow, Oklahoma. We're in three markets of Florida. So the Emerald Coast and the Forgotten Coast, which are both on the um, Panhandle Gulf Coast. Yeah. And then we're also in the Disney market in Orlando, which isn't technically like a true vacation rental market. It's I'd call that a hybrid market. It's like its own thing. There's no other market like that. And then we're in three in North Carolina. So we're in the high country, which is like the Banner Elk, Boone, Blowing Rock area, uh, the Outer Banks. And then we call the last one our Carolina beach market, but it basically is all the other beach markets in North Carolina that are not part of the Outer Banks. So like south of the Outer Banks from like like Emerald um, down to Mm -hmm. the Cure and, you know, that whole. Okay. Awesome. You you got a little bit of spin. Are you, do you have, uh, you have growth plans or are you? Are uh, you- so yeah, we've got a few agents in a few other markets that we're looking to bring on. Um, we're kind of like, you know, seeing what happens with the market right now with the interest rates, because a lot of buyers, cause we do, we do a lot of sellers, but you know, mostly buyers because we teach them how to manage. So they're like, Oh, well, look, let me, let me get in on that. I think we're in like a, everybody is walking through the woods and then somebody steps on a stick and everybody like stops and looks and waits to see what happens. I think that's kind of where we are with the interest rates right now. Cause they're, yes, they've gotten higher, but they're not really much higher than they were three years ago before they like dropped down in the toilet. So I think everybody is just like, Oh, wait a minute, what's everybody going to do? And then I think it's going to pick back up. So we're kind of waiting to see what the market does before we bring on any new markets, just to kind of see what's, what's up with it. Do you think that, uh, give us your crystal ball prediction. Do you like, what do you think the market's going to do? Do you think it's going to, it's going to stay or do you think it's going to rise? Or do you think it will, will drop back down to something a little more, I wouldn't say reasonable, but you know what I'm saying? Like obviously not toilet level, like, you know, while you use your <laughs> term, but, uh, yeah, so it's hard to say. So I think the inflation piece is really what hangs me up because I am by no means an economist. I'm, I made a C in macroeconomics at UT. Um, 
So that's about the extent of my knowledge on economics. But here's what I think. Um, I think that the numbers still make sense in a lot of cases. I mean, it's not like five years ago where you could go in the Smokies and buy something and get a hundred percent cash on cash return. That's an absurd number. That is not an attainable number. So yeah, it's less now. It's not what it was, but I think that there are still deals out there that make sense. Uh, I do think that the interest rates are slowing down the markets a little bit. And what I mean by slowing down is like, it's not 50 offers on every single property anymore, but things are still maybe getting two or three and still going and asking. It's not like a, everything's going a hundred thousand over, which is good. That's ridiculous. That's not a sustainable pace. Um, so I think it's slowing down a little bit. I think it might dip some, but I don't know how much higher inflation will take us before that dip happens. So it could take us another 10% higher. And then if it only dips five, well, it's still more than it is today. So it's like a whole, there's so many arguments for both sides of that coin that it's just kind of hard to say. So that's a great take on it. Cause I have no idea. I know we're looking <laughs> at, we're looking at purchasing a property as well right now. And we're like, uh, I wish we could have done it you know, six <laughs> months ago. I wish we could have done it a year ago. Um, so it, I, I know it's put a pause on us a little bit, not necessarily on, you know, no, we're not going to, but, but having to think a little bit deeper on it, if it makes mm -hmm. uh, you know fiscal sense right now. Which is good. I think investors need to like be, I, I've seen a lot of people just like, you know, throwing money at everything and like, just everybody calm down, do your analysis, make sure it works. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's, but it, it does bring up the point of things that are, <clears throat> I guess, prohibitive from getting people into the space broadly, right? One of the things we talk about openly on this show is just, you know, the cost of entry into this industry is not cheap. Right. And, you know, the amount of people, you know, yeah, economy's been going good, things are going good, but housing prices, you know, which you see from both sides um, on the long-term side and the short-term side, you know, it's very challenging for, you know, middle-class families or middle-class families to participate in it investing. Is, yeah. So do you think about that in your model? Um, I know that that may not be your clientele, you know, those in the markets that you're in, but do you think about that broadly in terms of, you know, how does an industry flourish if it's only available to a small margin of people within that space? Yeah, that's definitely a difficult, a difficult, um, thing to think about. So for, I know for me, like our short terms are significantly more expensive than our long terms. Like one short term door is like 12 long term doors in the equivalent price. So um, it's definitely a cost prohibitive uh, industry. And it's definitely it's definitely something that like I know here in Santa Rosa Beach, a lot of the like uh, tourism workers, like uh, bartenders, restaurant workers, you know, they have to live across the bay and drive in. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely cost prohibitive and it's something that I think is still attainable for a lot of people if you get into the right market. So for example, like the Smokies are always going to be really solid numbers, but it's a very expensive market to get into. So one market that I'm kind of got my eye on for, for getting under our portfolio is uh, Myrtle Beach because the purchase prices are significantly, significantly cheaper. So it makes it more available to more people mm -hmm. to be able to get in there. And then I also have a, a mortgage company where, so Myrtle Beach is, and now we're getting like way into the weeds here. Um, Myrtle Beach is mostly non-warrantable condos that are affordable. So if, you know, as you guys know, 
non-warrantable condos, you have to get commercial financing, has to be 20, 25%, you know, higher down payment. So on the mortgage company side, as we're trying to find, uh, you know, as we're trying to maybe expand into Myrtle Beach, we're also trying to find loan products that from portfolio lenders who they might want to finance our clients for lower than that so that we can get some of those people into that investment that, you know, might be unattainable for them at the moment in other markets. So all that to say, it's just a matter of switching markets to try and figure out where, you know, if you're priced out of one, getting into something else and still being able to get into the investing game. But in terms of like where in metro markets where people actually live, that <clears throat> fund money is a significant problem. So that property that I was talking about earlier, that first one that I bought that I 1031 exchanged. So I listed it myself on the MLS and I purposely priced it really, really high just to like see what, what it would do. I had no offers for the first two weeks. The only offer I got was from a fund for $40,000 over asking cash, no inspection. And there was no reason they had to go that high. So they artificially drove the market up higher for those primary home buyers uh, because they, they didn't even ask. It had been yeah. on the market for yeah. weeks. So there, there was no reason for it to have to go that high. So that's, that's certainly an issue. And that's where the backlash comes in, right? Because- you know, the, the reverberating effects of that and that and them driving that price up, you know, affects markets. And it, it, it seems like it's not just an urban problem anymore either. Right. Like it's happening in these traditional vacation de destinations as well, you know, to the point you just made, like where do the staff and, and other people live? Right. They're out of that. And I think we're even seeing kind of some regulatory issues in, in, in spaces we haven't had regulatory concerns before as a part of that. And I think you spoke to that, right? And one of the mm -hmm. issues you said, you don't want to be in the, the metro markets is you don't want to have to be con consistently advocating and in, in, in fighting for something that, you know, is part of a bigger issue. And, you know, it's going to be continuing conversation and, you know, that affects the investments and, and, and the ecosystem around it. So it does. Absolutely. I mean, even, even, you know, I know the, I know your market well, where you live, you know, in, in talking, you know, PCB, like no worker, I'd say, no, I'd say 75% of the workers in the PCB market live in Panama city. They live, you know, they don't actually live in PCB. Um, and so it's, you know, just more, more fuel for, for those that want to come in and, and have a, have an issue with STRs and, and vacation destinations and, and how, you know, how are they going to go ahead and, and fight it? They're going to use these stats uh, against the market and against what we're trying to do here. And, and it just makes it difficult. The, mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I you got to find that you got to find the balance is a problem, right? Cause at the end of the day, the, you know, it, it, you think about what we're talking about, the people who are working, right? If, you know, in these spaces live somewhere else. But if those opportunities to work go somewhere else, then they're still not going to be able to live there. Like, they're not going to have a job there. So it, it's, it, I don't want to oversimplify it or, or, you know, you know, let the pendulum swing to one side or the other. But I do think it's it brings up an interesting conversation that I think that we have to have about what our communities are going to look like and not just in urban areas. Right. And, you know, what do vacation rental destinations look like? Right. It's, and it's the same thing like we see in Europe, right. People who live in Venice and people who live in these other places, like that the world wants to come to and see that, you know, have traditionally been people's homes and people want to live there. And, but there's way more people that are actually trying to come and see that. And, you know, 
depending on how you look at it, it's a good or a bad thing because it's not like those people are just coming to look at a free museum, right? These people right. are spending money. They're spending money. They're, they're, they're boosting the economy. The economy is right? getting... Like, and so there, there is a balance, but I think, you know, it's kind of a global conversation that communities are going to have to have around like, and, and have it realistically, you know, and, and cut, I saw our show, cut the bullshit, like really what, what matters, what's important. Right. And mm-hmm. I think if we work to find balance, we can, and we know we can ruin economies. We see that all the time. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I digress. So that's. No, I, and I, to to expand while you just digress but i'm expand just briefly you know i i like that you know avery you you said you know i didn't want to deal with that in the urban markets it was too much so i you know we decided to not focus on that and we talk a lot about um the importance of those that are working in these in these in or or have SDRs in these you know in these municipalities where are there are a ton of regulations the importance of or or maybe there aren't regulations today, but there's going to be in the future because it's a vacation destination, the importance of getting involved in your community early and making yourself known as a, as a thought leader, as, as someone that, you know, the, the you know, municipality can reach out to you as a, as a leader in the, in the STR space, you know, you realized early that that wasn't what you, a strong suit and, or you, maybe you're fine with it, but you didn't want to deal with it. But if you are in those markets, you know, it's super important to get involved early to A, be aware of what's going on and B, to, to fight the good fight and to kind of, you know, to put balance to, to where is, you know, it seems to be a very one-sided because of regulations and deep pockets of those that are <laughs> against the SDR. Let's talk about your podcast because, you know, you got a, you got a pretty uh, legit setup there. Um, and, you know, we know that you, you have the short-term shop, but you also have the short-term show. I'd love to hear about the podcast and, you know, your findings, you know, we know our journey um, and we've been doing this now a, a little over a year. Um, it's been exciting. We've seen some pretty amazing growth, but tell us about your show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's called The Short Term Show, like you mentioned. And we interview owners, we interview people who own businesses around the space, like furnishing businesses, data companies, uh, banks. Uh, We have a really interesting um, interview with uh, Relay Financial, which is really cool. It's like an online bank that like does everything you need it to do that I've Every time like dealing with Bank of America or whatever, I'm like, oh, if it would just do this, my life would be so much easier, but it didn't. Um, So, you know, any owner or just person in the space who I think our listeners could benefit from hearing their story and or like learning people who think that it's not possible for them learning that it it is and it can be you can build generational wealth through real estate investing whether it's short term or long term um and that there's no one right way to do it like I focus on vacation rental markets like we've already talked about but I have plenty of clients who are crushing it in like things that I would never do but it's not wrong. They're crushing it. Like they're doing a great job, like a medium term, like corporate rentals in Chicago. That's not something I ever would have thought about doing, but I have clients who are absolutely crushing it. So um, I just think it's really important to hear other people's stories and their different ways of doing things and learning that like, oh yeah, there's lots of ways to be successful in real estate. And that's, what's cool about it. That's cool. And so how, how long you've been doing it? A little over a year also. So about okay. the same as you guys. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Are, are you putting out, um, we'll go ahead and put a link to, to the show in, in our, in our show notes. Um, so how, how often does the podcast come out and, uh, how long just so, uh, 
case anyone wants to listen that's on our, our audience? Yeah, sure. So we're out every Thursday and it's anywhere between 30 minutes and an hour. I try to keep it unless it's like a really, really interesting conversation. I try to keep it to 30 to 45 minutes so people don't feel like locked in for an hour, but anywhere between 30 and an hour usually. Awesome. So you're competing against us, probably crushing against us. So that's all right. We, we put out on <laughs> Thursday as well. So <laughs> the, uh, so, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <clears throat> John, I was saying, um, and every, you know, at what point did you realize, you know, a year ago that, you know, this was the right step for you? You've written a book, you know, you're seeing that, you know, media podcasts and things like that. Obviously, you have so much to offer people um, and people seem to be really receptive to to what you're doing. You know, what what made you take that loop? Because I mean, take that road because not everybody does that. And, you know, this is hard. You know, we and Ron and I <laughs> wanted to do this and but we love it. Like it's our you know, we talk about you know, our love of doing this and, you know, we know what our pivotal point was. You know, we, we talked about it for a while, like and it's like, ah, and then eventually I think, you know, when things slowed down with COVID, it was the perfect opportunity to do it. But for you, we'd love to hear your story of like, what was your aha moment of like, yeah, we need to share this with the world. Yeah. So for, for me, it's, we have so many uh, clients or just people who would reach out to me and ask the, I would get repeating questions and I'd say, oh yeah, I know somebody who does that. Let me connect you with this person. Let me connect you with them. Let me get, like, listen to this person's story. And so eventually I was like, or I could just start a podcast. So I'm not having to like do all this all right. the time and get upstream of this and then say, oh yeah, that's episode, whatever the podcast. And then I can share it with everybody at once instead of answering the same questions over and over again. I can say, oh yeah, go listen to Karan's podcast. You know, he talks about doing the medium term insurance rentals, check that out. It's episode, whatever. So uh, really just being able to help more than one person at a time. Cause I am only one person and, uh, I can't get to everything. I miss stuff. I'm human. So if it's out there for the world, then, you know, everybody can get the information that they need much more quickly. That's a great answer. Very we, cool. uh, yeah. I, I think the, the main reason we just wanted to talk to people like we, we love the, the, for us, it started at, you know, the, the travel circuit going around for the different shows, the trade shows, and we're just, you know, bullshitting at the bar talking <laughs> about the, you know, everything. And then we, we saw a void in, in real conversations or like, yeah. you know, the ability to go ahead and, and talk of like a little deeper about things that, that we saw. And it's been, it's opened up a ton of doors. I, I think it, it truly has made uh made a difference in, in both of our lives. And, and we look forward to this every week. I mean, this is like our, a highlight of it. We both have, uh, you know, this isn't our, our main gig by any means. Um, we're very busy in our, our, our real jobs and this is just fun. Uh, and getting to meet people like you and, and now I, now I know Avery Carl and I'm excited. And when I'm down in, you know, in Santa Rosa beach, I'm gonna have to look you up and we're going to get, grab a coffee or something. Um, this is, uh, this is fun. Yeah. What's new for you? And the diversity of this stuff too. Like honestly, like everyone has an amazing story. Like John and I didn't weren't born into this space. Like, and how do you find out about you know? I always think that learning through others' experiences is is just immensely valuable, right? Totally. And, and so you know, and you know, we can hit on just being 100% honest, there's a lot of stale stuff that goes on. You get a lot of same stories and there's so, it doesn't have to be that way. And, you know, we, we want to keep growing and keep offering new perspectives and, you know, interviewing more people and have more people sharing their stories. Yeah. 
There's definitely, definitely a lot to learn out there. Yeah, Even right. when I've had clients of mine on and I'm like, oh yeah, I know what they own. I know what they do, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, then they'll have this whole story that I had no idea. I just knew yeah. they bought a couple houses with us and I thought that's what they were going to talk about. But there's always like a lot more, you know, if you dig deeper. I, I love this episode because, you know, now we have this, this, uh, this, this rocker chick that joined our show. She plays mm-hmm. bass. She's a real estate investor. She coaches. She does. Uh, she does a podcast. She's in eleven markets. Kick ass. Yeah, rock star. We didn't know sure. any of this shit before today. <laughs> <laughs> so it's exciting. Hey, Avery, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to go ahead and link to uh, Short Term Shop, and we're going to go ahead and link to your Short Term Show in the liner notes um, and in the episode notes. And uh, if anyone has any questions, do not hesitate to reach out. And please like our podcast. You know the deal. Thanks so much for joining us, Avery. Appreciate you. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks, Avery. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.